This project is supported by a charitable donation from Pfizer Limited. Hello, I'm Victoria Derbyshire. I was 46 years old and getting on with my happy life. I didn't feel as though I had a care in the world. And then came breast cancer. This podcast brought to you by the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity is for those of you who've experienced a moment like that. And for everyone in your life that's affected too. Your family, your friends, your work colleagues, the people who are caring for you, who hold you close, the people you lean on. It's a podcast for that moment and for what happens next. This episode is called My Breast Cancer Has Come Back. And we're talking to three women who have experienced that. And I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. Uh, Let's start with Jackie, shall we? Hello. Hello, Victoria. Um, I'm Jackie Beltrow. I'm a sports news reader on Sky News. And I was diagnosed for a second time with breast cancer uh, almost a year ago, June 2020, in lockdown, and in its comeback worse than before, and stage four. So, in a nutshell, that's my story. Hi, I'm Lisa Fleming. Um, I am 37, and I was diagnosed with secondary breast cancer at the age of 33. Um, tomorrow um, is actually going to be my four-year cancerversary. So I've been living with this disease now for four years. Um, and in my spare time, I run a charity called Make Seconds Count. Hi there, uh, my name is Claire O'Donnell. I am 43 years old. Um, I was originally diagnosed with my primary in October 2015 um, and went through my treatment as normal, um, but had a scan at the end and in May 2016 was confirmed as a secondary breast cancer diagnosis with bone mets that had been there actually from the beginning. So I kind of went straight from primary to secondary with not really any gap in between. Um, And I very luckily came across the charity Make Seconds Count um, as a patient um, and started volunteering with them. Um, And now I'm very happy to report that I now officially work for the charity as well as their support and research project coordinator. So, yeah, that's me. (laughs) Well, welcome all of you. And thank you so much for talking to us. Um, one of the things I really try to do on this podcast is use language that everybody understands. So use plain English. And so I want to ask you to start with, how did you explain what's called, officially, secondary breast cancer to someone you love? I think this is something that I struggled with because none of my friends or family has ever heard of secondary breast cancer. So I was put in the position of having been told on the Monday that I had primary breast cancer, which obviously was, you know, horrendous enough to kind of get my head around. And then on the Wednesday, I was told that I had incurable stage four secondary breast cancer. And I thought, what well, what is that? Um, and my nurse that came in to kind of guide me through that, you know, explained it as breast cancer that had got arms and legs and moved to another part of my body. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my case, it had gone from the breast to every bone within my body. And then at a later stage, it went to my brain. So I think I still do think of it as having those arms and legs. And and how did you, know, you describe it to someone you love, Lisa? What did you say to them? I was pretty rubbish at that, to be perfectly honest. Um, I remember throwing the phone over to my husband and saying, I can't deal with this. I can't tell anybody. I don't know how to explain it. And for me, everything happened quite quickly. So because at the time I was diagnosed, it had broken a bone in my neck and also in my spine, I was whipped into hospital. So I didn't really have a chance to explain it to people. We all just had to fact find um, and unfortunately, Dr. Google. Um, So I think it's taken me time to actually find a language that's good to explain it. And I know with my little boy now, you know, I I kind of explain it as either mommy's cancer being awake or mommy's cancer being asleep, depending on where I'm at with my scans, Mm. which Touchwood just now in his eyes and my eyes, I'm stable, so it's asleep. I didn't actually explain it to anybody um, because I didn't really want to explain it to myself. Um, when I when I was diagnosed, in fact, 
my surgeon um, saw the scan first of all before my oncologist. And he just, he never even said the word stage four. He just said, oh yeah, there's something there. There's something outside the breast. We can definitely see that on, on the PET CT. And it's also here and it's also here. I mean, mine had basically spread around the area of the breast, but into the lymph nodes behind it. So it was in the general area, but it wasn't in still in the breast. It left the breast, but it hadn't really gone very far. So I just never explained the stage four thing because he never used the word stage four, but he knew that I knew that it was. And the same with my oncologist. She just never said the words stage four. Mm. She just said, we're going to try and control this. Curing it will be a stretch were her words, but you know, we've got lots of drugs in the cupboard and we can try and control it to the point that my husband didn't really understand what stage four was until weeks and weeks and weeks later. And he couldn't really understand why I was so devastated and thinking about death around the corner. And he said, but it's a grade three. I went, it is a grade three, but it's stage four and there is no stage five. This is this is the last stage of cancer that you ever get. Um, and that's when the penny dropped with him. That's, okay, this is going to be a bit of a bumpy old road because, like she says, cure is a bit of a stretch. I mean, it's what everybody hopes for, but it's not what many people get. Mm. Um, but I never explained it. And I, the children, I just assume, used Google to work it out, you know, for How old themselves. are your children, Jackie? So now Amelia um, is 23 and Georgie's 19, about to go to uni. And I've got one in the first year of uni, so he's 20. Okay. Um, so, so they're, old, en they're never, old enough to know what's going on. They are old enough to know what's mm -hmm. going on and they will in have investigated. Um, and I, I can't even remember what I told them. I just said, it's come back. It's worse than before. It's it spread to my lymph nodes, and I left it at that. Okay. I'm going to come back to the language that we use around this. I'm going to come back to Google as well. Um, but Claire, what about yourself? How did you explain what is officially known as secondary breast cancer to someone you love? Yeah, I had a slightly trickier time um, with it in that I'd lost my mum to secondary breast cancer back in 1996. How old was she so then? She was 45 when wow. she passed away. So I was 17 years old at the time. My brother was 15. So I was kind of having a, a different way of looking at it and that I actually found out didn't want to upset any of my family and friends by telling them that I now had secondary breast cancer, knowing that it was obviously going to bring all the emotions of losing my mum and I've also lost aunts and, you know, my grand. There's been a long history of it in my family. So... I wasn't really looking at explaining it. I was actually more, if anything, trying to curb the fear that instantly came my way with me telling people that I had secondary breast cancer because instantly it was, the fear was, oh, I'm going to die and I'm 37 years old, you know, and I wasn't at that point, I wasn't ready to, to look at it like that. So, you know, I'd obviously had some experience and I knew what secondary breast cancer was from my mum's um, illness at mm. the time and while I was very young I, I totally understood the whole thing um, and looked after my mum a fair bit so for me it was actually more about making other people understand that it wasn't necessarily a death sentence for me okay right my age. that that is so you interesting know? because I think most people assume if they've even heard of secondary breast cancer which most people haven't most people assume it is a death sentence. Now let's let's yeah. be let's be factual about this. It, it is terminal cancer. It is cancer that cannot be cured. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is treatable. It is potentially manageable, and yeah. we know that people can live for a number of years with secondary breast cancer. But it is potentially going to shorten your life. Is that true? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. no, no doubt about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, it is. I mean. I I remember being told that I was stage four and immediately I was convinced that that was it. I was going to die. And that first month, I don't know about you ladies, but I 
I struggled to really communicate mm-hmm. with anybody and I, I just went into myself because I thought well this is it and I was so poorly at the time and they had told me that if the treatment didn't work that I would have about six months um, which was hard to kind of stomach as well but as you say Victoria you know if you get the right treatment then you can learn to live with secondary Mm -hmm. breast cancer and I think it's I know it's taken me quite a few years to actually accept that. I don't think I accepted it for the first couple of years. I just lived in this constant state of everything was my last. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I've kind of seen a bit of light and, you know, from speaking to, you know, ladies, you know, like Claire and, you know, I follow you on social media, Jackie. And, you know, there is a real network out there and you do realise, well, do you know what? This is rubbish. This is the most horrendous thing I think you can be dealt is a terminal cancer diagnosis, but you have to try and learn how yeah. to live with it because life is too short, isn't it? Yeah. Well, like, do you know yeah. what? I, I won't um I won't let people use that phrase around me, terminal diagnosis. Yeah. yeah. I I just won't let them use it because um I just think, well, maybe it is for most people, but for me, it's not. And I'm just Absolutely. telling myself, for me, it's not. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I actually um, I actually was introduced to a lady from my oncologist called Errol. And she was so funny. She was a real, like, proper English lady. And she was, <laughs> nine, she was 91. And she's been managing her breast cancer, which is the same type as mine, yep. since 1976. Wow. 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 Oh, my <laughs> That's God. That's incredible. Hang on. I need to do the math. 76, 86, 96, 2006, wow. 2016. So that's, that's incredible. 46 years she's been living with yeah. secondary breast cancer. That's incredible. She's, she's been living with breast cancer since before my oncologist was born. Wow. So, <laughs> and her oncologist was born. Um, so I spoke to her and asked her what she did and, you know, what yeah. her se- secret was. And she just said, look, never look backwards. You know, that's gone. Just mm-hmm. always go forwards. Whatever comes yeah. around the corner. She goes, I've had it in my spine. I've had it in my lungs. I've had it here, there and everywhere. She said, but they just seem to deal with it. And I just move on. I love and that. that and that's all you can do. And I said, did you give up drinking? And she went, oh, God, no, I carried <laughs> on partying. Um, I did every. I did absolutely everything um, the way I always have done. Um, yeah. So she was kind of my one of the first people that I spoke to. And I've spoken to lots of other women who either live with secondary breast cancer and like you, you know, they're up to about five years now. And I spoke to another lady who got in touch with me on social media in northwest of Ireland. She's very spiritual. She's quite yogi-ish. Yeah. And she was diagnosed with a terminal cancer, not breast cancer, but a terminal cancer, nevertheless, 25 years ago in Ireland. Oh, she was given three months to live. She didn't buy it. Mm-hmm. And she told herself that wasn't going to happen. And she's fine. She's cancer-free and she's 25 years absolutely fine. And she said, you'll be like that too. So I don't buy into this. Mm -hmm. It can't be fixed. You know, your body's got yourself into this situation. I'm pretty sure in some instances it can get yourself out of this situation. I mean, albeit, you know, you've got a sword hanging over your head, but I, I don't buy this, you know, terminal thing okay. i'm not even gonna That's i'm really- not even gonna talk i'm not even gonna talk about it so don't ask me that question again, Victoria, <laughs> no, no, fair enough because fair- that's it yeah no that's absolutely <laughs> yeah. fair enough i do want to ask you though um claire let me put this to you on an average day from the moment you wake up to when you go to bed at night mm-hmm. how much time do you spend thinking about it um i don't think it ever leaves you i think you do always have it in the back of your mind and obviously now working with the charity i'm involved in obviously lots of secondary breast cancer stories every day anyway. So it never really leaves me, but I don't, the first six months, first couple of years, I would spend a lot of my time worrying about what was going to happen to me. Am I going to be here in six months? Can I plan something? My calendar would be empty for a year in advance because I didn't want to book anything and then have, but that has also changed Mm -hmm. and the fear has, so the fear has dimmed a little bit. Um, but again, I do think that that's all personal just because my health has allowed me to, you know, to feel that way. I, I'm quite sure if I was in and out of hospital with various different things or 
you know, if my treatment was up and down, I'm still on first line treatment. So that gives me a lot of um, encouragement, you know, that that's been working for me for five years. What does first line treatment mean? So that means that that is the first drug that I've been given to treat my secondary breast cancer. And then obviously I've been on letrozole, which as I call it, my wonder drug. I say that quite (laughs) a lot. Um, And what does that do for you? um, It just, it controls the cancer within, you know, my bones is where I have my bone met, so I have them in my spine and my sternum and my ribs. Um, and I'm very lucky that it's managed to contain it within that and has kept the cancer asleep. As Lisa said earlier, that's the way I look at it, you know, that the cancer's either awake and when it's awake, it causes trouble. And when it's asleep, you get a bit of freedom and you get a bit of normality to your life, if you like. Um but I would say, it. I mean, it never leaves you. There's always a thought that, that passes and it only takes one little thing to happen. Either it be seeing something on social media or having someone talk to you about something or a memory will spark something and you will instantly be right back to that point where you were diagnosed. But what I will say is five years on, I'm in a far better place now than I was when I was first diagnosed. And I hope that other people get you know, to that point as well, that they get to feel things are just a little bit easier and not quite so scary all the time. Yeah, I was exactly the same as Claire. You know, the first couple of years, I didn't want to make plans. I was scared. I mean, I unfortunately was in and out of hospital quite a lot mm-hmm. um, that first two years to try and stabilise my cancer. Um, I had 11 surgeries because of the damage that the cancer had done pre-diagnosis so it was quite a dark time Mm. um just mentally having to deal with being in and out and having these invasive surgeries um so I had to have a lot on my spine um because of the fact that it broke my neck um and also wore down my spine had to learn to walk again which was something that I'd taken for granted um And I had a wee boy as well. You, he, my wee boy was only four when I was diagnosed. So trying to navigate all of that. Um, and then I had brain progression, which, you know, I had to undergo brain surgery for, which was very invasive and quite a difficult time and a difficult recovery. So that first two years was really dark. But like Claire, you know, I think some light has come back into my life. And now, you know, I do live a relatively normal life in the sense of it's our new normal. And I do make plans and I go on holiday and I've learned to live with my cancer. Mm -hmm. And I think I've kind of learned to put it in its place a little bit and I'm not letting it dictate how I live my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And that dynamic in my head has definitely helped me in my day-to-day life and there are days that you know you just get on with a normal day like you would pre-cancer and then yeah of course there's days that we have to go in for treatment but I don't know about you guys but they come quite normalized now go into mm. hospital you get your treatment and you have a laugh with your nurses because they're all incredible and then you go home and you get back into mum mode or you know you get back into work mode so yeah I think it's just learning to live with that new normal and you know yeah. I love what Jackie was saying about you know not letting that word terminal because I'm the same I can't abide that word mm. and you know if I speak about it because that mm-hmm. is not how I see myself I don't see myself as having terminal cancer because we still have hope don't we yeah. you know we're still yes. on treatments and very much so we've got to cling to that hope um you know and really focus on it but you but you guys are in a lucky position in a way uh you know unlucky but lucky in that your cancer has stabilized so yeah. you can yes. you know you can you're on a treatment and your treatment is working and you're good and your scans are good you know yeah. there's so many people i mean i'm one of them i'm still in that early stage my cancer isn't controlled and my first yeah. line of treatment hasn't worked. And now yeah. I'm on another drug. So I'm living scan to scan, yeah. which, which is a horrible way to live because, you know, you bounce between being, I'm okay, I'm fine, I feel completely fine, I look completely fine, yeah. to what catastrophe is going to lie around the corner when I come out of the next PET CT? You know, what are they going to say to me next? Am I back into chemo or radiotherapy I mean my last scan was a few weeks ago it was terrible you know it was really bad and I've been put on some new treatment 
which touch wood I think is working because I can feel the lymph nodes shrinking a bit yeah um, but you know I don't know and until you get to that sort of stable place it is very hard not to lurch between I wonder if I'll be alive next year to celebrate my birthday or Christmas or yeah. should we move house because what if I haven't got the time to finish the renovation or you know there's just so many things that you just never thought you'd have to consider mm. yeah. but you have to consider I mean i could ne- I can't even I mean I don't want to leave my job but say I wanted to change jobs I couldn't really no. yeah um I'm tied to the medical insurance of the job that I've got <laughs> yeah which I'm, which I'm very grateful for <laughs> but, you know who's going to take me on now no one in their right mind mm-hmm. um so there's so many things that it affects that you don't even think about yeah you're have, you're, you're so yeah, right um, I was just going to agree as well that those are things that are still relevant even now like when I was furloughed um there during the COVID um and I started to panic about what I would do job wise you know if I suddenly lost my job because my previous employer had been so fantastic with me and very helpful with me um that fear instantly came right back even though I'd been stable for you know quite a long while it was suddenly like is anyone else going to be able to you know, allow me to still work, which was a huge part of my life at my age and, you know, a good part of my focus. Um, I suddenly thought, what if I can't find an employer that's going to support me again? Yeah. Very luckily that I'm with Make Seconds Count, who obviously understand the situation mm-hmm. and it's been great. But you have all those fears and it only takes little things to, you know, pop up in your life that instantly just remind you of exactly where you are in yeah. your oh, situation. Definitely. I mean, I I had a really big wobble yesterday um, because it's the anniversary of my diagnosis. And, you know, I, I can totally relate to what you're saying, Jackie, because I went through, you know, two and a half years of being where you are just now and living in those kind of eight to 12 week chunks of not having that stability and the cancer, you know, misbehaving. And I think now there are little trigger points. So when you get to that, you know, that cancerversary and you're thinking, this is amazing. You know, I have lived four years, but then there is that swing, isn't there? Thinking, okay, well, how much longer is this treatment line going to work? Because I'm on my well, it's kind of 1.5 treatment line. So one of the drugs that I've been on since I was diagnosed, I've stayed on that constantly. But when it spread to my brain, I had to then change chemotherapy. Um, So that became kind of my second chemotherapy. And, you know, that was really scary because it took my body time to get used to that. And, you know, it, it is hard because you know that literally you can go in for a scan and your world can change within that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and that scansiety and I know we talk about scansiety you know within the cancer community but it, that is a real thing I mean that anxiety that you experience and you know Victoria you've experienced it with your diagnosis as well you, you can't describe that can you unless you've been through it just I'll, actually I'll just share with you for me I have never had anxiety over the scans the wow. o- the I honestly, I just, I, I made a decision that I am not going to spend any time, any seconds, any minutes, any hours of any day worrying about what's going to come out of the next scan. The thing, the only thing that I am frightened of is breast cancer coming back. It's the only thing. Yeah. And I, but I never think about it. Obviously, talking to you, Claire, you, Jackie, and you, Lisa, I am being forced to think about it. What I am finding really useful is your, the way you're describing your approach to it and that, you know, you won't use certain language and you have, some of you have got to the point of being able to plan stuff or put stuff on the calendar. It, 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 because I have thought if it comes back, how am I going to approach it? I'm generally a positive person. I don't, but in, but, but it might shorten my life. And, And of course, nobody wants that to happen. You want to see your kids get married, graduate, have children. You want to be a grandma, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that was my that was my main ambition in life was to be a grandma. It was like yeah. the only it was the only thing that I had on my list of yeah. stuff that I wanted to do because my mum died when she was forty two, not of breast cancer, but you know I was a teenager, and my children have never known her. And you you can talk about someone 
you know, and explain what they were like. But if they, if your children have never experienced a person, it's really hard for them to have a concept of what they were like or mm-hmm. no, there's no memories there or anything. And I just thought, I really hope that, that doesn't happen to me, that I will just be a memory of my children who will have to then explain what I was like to my grandchildren, that who I will never see, you know, and they will go through, you know, having their first child or getting married, like you said, without me there the way I had to I mean I wouldn't wish that on anybody no. you know not anybody that's it still upsets me now yeah. sometimes that I can't turn to my mom so yeah. it was no. it was an ambition that I had and I'm sitting here thinking I can't believe that that ambition is going to be like snatched from me yeah. and that's just so unfair mm. how do yeah. you get your head around that though Jackie you don't right. you don't um or i or i switch it off what i do sometimes is um have a positive visualization of amelia holding a baby and handing me a baby my, amelia's my daughter yeah. um or my kids dressed as if they're going to a wedding and it's one of their weddings so i have that picture in my mind and i'm there so it's not just my husband on his own it's me and him and the dogs although that is ridiculous because obviously the dogs might not be around like that. <laughs> but in, in my picture, the, everybody's there. Oh. Everybody's there. So, so, I, so as soon it, as I think it, I switch that to that thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But hearing you talk about it like that is making me feel really upset. And then I think, well, what the heck? How dare I be upset? Jackie's got this fucking diagnosis. How dare I be upset? You know? Well, it I is, think it's it a is. relative, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I think it's also normal to to have that reaction, you know, and because you're obviously worried and not wanting to face what is happening to Jackie. I mean, I personally, I was single when I was diagnosed. Um, and sadly, still, I'm single after my diagnosis because it's just there's just there's no way for like partners or anything like that in my life right now. I just can't I can't face it with everything else that I've gone through, but. So I hadn't had kids at that point and then I had my ovaries out so that I could change some treatment because I was struggling with the Zolodex injection yeah. that they give you to, you know, to stop your periods. And I just I'd got to a point where that wasn't really giving me much quality of life, the Zolodex, so I would change it. But then I was faced with, you're never going to have kids now, Claire. And even though it was never necessarily in, it was in my sort of Deep, path. yeah. It suddenly was like it was the forced realization that actually now you can't do it, even if you did want to, and something changed. Yeah. And I think at forty three, while I'm older than than some would be, that to me is was quite a big loss. Mm-hmm. And when I was diagnosed, my brother, I'm an auntie to two, but they were very young at that age, and so I was putting everything into them, you know, and wanting to see them grow up and wanting to see them. But I still have that fear that what if I'm not there for their big moments? You know, yeah. like I want to see Abby turn 16, 18. I want to see Liam grow up. Um, so I think we all have those fears in different ways. And I think it does take things from us in different ways. And I suppose it's just how we react to that and then how we manage to sort of Keep going, I guess, yeah. is, is the way because you, you've got to keep going. You, you have to have any option. You know, no. you can't you can't stop for too long and dwell on I've it. Tried, I've tried many a time over lots of things, but I can't allow that to sort of hold me. Otherwise, yeah. I'm not going to progress any further in where I want to see myself go because while I'm well, I want to live my life because I know that this will change. Yeah. Do and you... I know I won't always be lucky enough to be stable like this, mm. you know? So You will. Yeah. You will. Stop saying that. You'll be fine. <laughs> I know. I know. What are you talking about, woman? I know. <laughs> We're all going to be fine. Like, but it is we'll the... all be here in the 20-year reunion. <laughs> exactly. But it's the kid thing. I mean, and like, I've got one child and Cameron was only four when I was diagnosed and I really wanted to have more children and I'm not going to lie, I I, I still really wish that I was able to and I know I can't because like you Claire, I've had, you know, my ovaries removed um, and I've been obviously put through the menopause and I feel that cancer has stolen that away because... I look at him and he, um, you know, all his little friends have got their little siblings and 
I can't give him that. Mm. Um, and he's a bit older. I mean, he's eight now. So, you know, he does, you know, why, why have I not got a brother or a sister? And, you know, it, it, it's hard not to get upset about that. And I look at him and I want to see him grow up. He's my world. Um, you know, and he's my Achilles heel, you know, because anytime I think about his wee face, I can't imagine me not being in his life, you know, and it is hard because we are human and much as we can put on our brave faces and, you know, kind of wake up, get our makeup on, get on with our jobs and our lives, there are all these things that we are only human, of course, they come yeah. in to yeah. our lives and I we can't change that, can we? That's something we've got to learn to live with. Well, I, I was actually having a, a meeting with a psychiatrist last week um, mm. because my oncologist thought it would be good to have some counselling, which I've never really wanted to do. But anyway, I had a meeting with this guy and because um, I kind of did feel like I was losing my mind a little bit. You know, the fact that I was waking up every morning thinking of it, going to bed at night thinking of it, yeah. driving my car thinking of it just constantly the whole it's like a tiny little part of my body and yet it controls my mind all the time mm. and you know I spoke to this psychiatrist thinking he's going to have some amazing you know solution that I just could stop thinking about this um bloody cancer all the time and he just went no what you're doing is completely normal anybody in your situation would be doing exactly the same. He said, if I was in your shoes, I would be doing exactly the same. It is completely normal. Um, what you just need to do is just get some, you know, more coping strategies um, yeah. so that when you're in that dark moment and you feel yourself going down the rabbit hole of, oh my God, you can um, stop yourself getting to the bottom of the rabbit hole. So what's kind yeah. of strategies, Jackie? What what have you come up with or, or what? what? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go back to get the psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, is, the first strategy, yeah, the first strategy uh, is no counselling. Oh no, I will. I will. Mm. I just haven't really been asked to do it. But no, um, fair enough. But I mean, I, I mean, what I found good, um, you know, in terms of sharing my story on social media, it did bring up. Um, it brought up a lot of people I didn't want to hear from, like, you know, my mum had breast cancer and she battled it for five years, then she died or what, yeah. you know, I don't want, Thanks I don't want to hear those stories. Mm. Thank yeah. you for that. But I, it did actually bring people to the fore who were in a similar situation and had done well. Mm. So yeah. I would siphon out the ones who had done well, yeah. make friends with them and find out what they did. Okay. You know, what's your, se what's your secret? And I've got a book that I keep by my bed, which is, I recommend to anybody with a secondary diagnosis to read and it's called Radical Remissions. Mm. Oh, and I've it, heard it's, of that. It's a really nice book of stories of people who were given no hope and they somehow managed to come out of their situation and walk away cancer-free. Um, and it's there's a thread that goes through all of them and they all become quite spiritual. They all have amazing self-belief. They don't dwell on the negative. They dwell on the positive. Um, so you just have to, you know, sort of draw on things like that so that you're not in this constant state of anxiety and fear. Yeah. Um, and, and you, you know, I mean, I do tons of other things as well, which I really won't bore you with, which is which isn't just taking tablets. Mm. Um, but you, I just feel like you have to have a few safety nets underneath yeah. you, really. Yeah. Marina Rinaldi is a fashion brand has always been proud to support women. For 40 years, we have been spreading a body positivity message, encouraging women to embrace their ever-changing shapes, to love their curves and themselves. Every woman deserves to feel elegant and in style. And wherever you are on your breast cancer journey, Marina Rinaldi wants to send you the confidence to continue to believe in your beautiful. Let me, let me ask you both, let me ask you all rather, a couple of quick fire questions. What should you not say to somebody with secondary breast cancer? Uh, you've You're got. Die. You, uh, <laughs> like, has someone actually said that to you? Yeah, <gasps> women in the playground. She, she actually came up to me and said, Oh my goodness, I heard that you died. I was like, Clearly I've not because I'm standing oh here in the playground. God! Like, 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so don't say to someone with secondary breast cancer, you're going to die. Okay, number one, what else should people not say? People say a lot, you've got this, you've got this, and you just want to go, well, how do you know? Mm. Because I don't even know. So how do you, how can you just say, you know, blithely, You'll be all right. You've got this, and that's co- that's coming from a, a good place. But it's actually about making them place. feel better, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, you, you know, you've got this. Yeah. I'm sure you'll be fine. Um, well, I'm not sure I'll be fine, and my oncologist is definitely not yeah. sure I'm going to be fine. So you, you can't say that. Okay. So it's best not to say anything like no. that at all. I don't think. What else, Claire? What about you? It's like that. You, you're good. Um, I was actually going to say something similar to Jackie because yeah. I get that a lot. You know, you've got this and. I, th- I think it's because I am quite a positive person and I actually use that as one of my tools. Uh, it's not a toxic positivity where it's all very much kind of, but it's very much about just believing in what's happening and trusting it and seeing the positive side of it. But I very often get, you've got this, but there's no other context behind it. No, it's no, just no. like a passing phrase that someone says to you and you're just like, it's like you've been patted on the shoulder and moved along. Yes, you know that yes. kind of, and it's yeah. like there, there's no real substance to what anyone is actually saying to you. Whereas if someone was to have a proper conversation with me, you know, about it, mm. I would be open to that. Okay. But a lot mm. of it is just very much. Okay. But, but, some, but sometimes are you not open to the, the conversation? Because a lot of people say to me, you know, if I've not seen someone at work for ages or, you know, in the flesh because of COVID and then they're like, and how are you? And what they really mean is, please tell me chapter and verse about the whole bloody drama <laughs> yeah. that you're going through. And I'm just sitting there thinking, no, nah, not today. Mm. I really don't feel like talking about it yeah, today. Yeah. And, and it's the same with people that yeah. phone up. You know, I, I now don't answer all my calls. And I used to always answer my phone religiously. And now I look at it and think, I know why she's phoning. I know she means to be kind, be kind but she's phoning up for an update. Yeah. And I can't be asked with yeah. an update. Fair so enough. I'm not yeah, I'm not doing true. it. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. well let's turn that round then. What are the things people should say to somebody with secondary breast cancer? I think for me it was just asking me something that wasn't about secondary breast cancer. So uh. you know, it was just talking about my old life. I always wish that people would, you know, kind of just speak to the old Lisa and Mm. you know just talk about I mean I love like musical theatre and you know I'd love if somebody was just like oh have you seen this show lately what do you think of that you know as opposed to you know like you guys were saying the so how are you and it's like well actually you really don't give a shit how I am you're just kind of going through the motions have have any of you ever told anyone to fuck off for for saying how are you? Like that. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Is it only Not a matter yet. of time? Not yet, exactly. So go on, other things that people, like it's okay to say to you. What What else? What um, else? I personally have always liked when someone says, what can I do for you? What, you know, like what is going to help you right now? And there's, there's few people that do that with me, but those people are like the best because they understand that what I don't want is, you know, that you've got this stuff, but actually, is there something practically I can do to help you? Or is there something that would make you feel better? So, but it's actually just asking questions that aren't superficial, if you like, so that you're going to get, and actually so that you know that that person's actually then going to see it through and is going to actually do something that's going to help you. Absolutely. Mm, Uh, Why don't people talk about secondary breast cancer? I I think people don't really know about it I think it's you know I know like my friends and family just didn't know anything about it and I think even now it's like people are almost kind of scared to talk about it because it does have you know a lack of education and awareness that you know people don't even know it exists and then when you do you know google it for example it comes up with all these really doom and gloom statistics so then folk don't want to talk about that with you and I think it's there's a lot of fear, isn't there? Because let's be honest, if we didn't have the disease, then we probably wouldn't want to talk about it either because mm. you're only forced to talk about it because it's, you're in it, you're in it yeah. aren't you? Yeah. And I, I think there is a whole, I think there is an awful lot of fear around it. And yeah. obviously because it's an incurable diagnosis instantly, it's just, it's that place you don't want to go to. Particularly, I think if you've had experience of breast cancer, or, you know, some people obviously just go straight to secondaries. And, but 
I think it's just it's a fear thing. Yeah. And I think if there was more education and awareness, but also maybe seeing more people who do thrive, you know, with the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, not everybody's story is going to be the same. I totally appreciate that. But there are a lot of people out there that are actually living well. Yeah, and although yeah. they do have to have the secondary breast cancer diagnosis hanging over them, I just think we don't see enough of that side of it. It's all very much about, you know, obviously people who have passed away from it or it's all the sad stories or the, and I just think if we could change the narrative a little bit, maybe people would open up and talk about it more. Yeah. I always thought about people who had secondaries. I just always, you know, to my shame, just felt so sorry for them and just yeah. felt so much pity yeah um you know I had a woman on my table at an event that I was hosting once and she oh like she's got stage four breast cancer and she'd just come out of chemo so her hair was all you know skinny and dreadful looking and I just thought oh god you know you've got these two beautiful daughters and you're gonna die and my thought was yeah. I don't know anybody with it that's survived but then mm-hmm. again I don't know anybody with it so yeah. what do I know yeah. yeah um but it was just that whole pity thing mm. I think I think people do pity you and I think it's embarrassing to sort of feel that pity for somebody else and I can tell when people talk to me about it and they're they're just full of pity yeah. and you just want to punch Who them in the face <laughs> Christ it's incredibly true though because that's the one thing that I despise still yeah. you know is I can tell when there's like the head tilt, you know, or there's the kind of, oh, and oh. You, you just know that they're thinking that, you know, I don't think that way about myself. So why are yeah. you thinking that way about me? Do yeah. you know? We don't I'm more confident than you are. We don't actually, <laughs> I mean, what is incredible, we don't actually know how many people are living with secondary breast cancer in this country. And we I don't know. know the length of survival after diagnosis or treatment because it's never been audited. And I know that one particular charity, Breast Cancer Now, have been campaigning to get that changed. That is going to be changed as a result of of, of some of their campaigning. So hopefully, because information is knowledge, knowledge is power, you know. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Jackie, I just want to... I remember your kindness to me when I was diagnosed back in 2015. You were absolutely lovely and on social media and then we spoke on the phone and you gave me a lot of really good practical things to do and um you were I mean I don't know how the doctors had described it to you but by then you were cancer free or in remission or however they'd described it to you and I want I want to ask you when you look back on the day you were told there was no evidence of active cancer what do you think now I think they probably got that wrong. Um, what I think about it is a, is something that a journalist from The Sun called Vicky Orvis said to me at Wimbledon in the press box once. And I was clear, all clear of cancer. What I didn't know was that she had secondary breast cancer that she kept quite well hidden. Mm. And I just said, well, you know, it's fine. And in my mind, I would it would never darken my door again. I was clear of breast cancer. That had been my brush with breast cancer. It was done and dusted. And that was the end of it. And I would move on with my, as you said, my happy life. She said, oh, yes, but it's very sneaky. And it's always waiting round the corner. And I was like, yeah, 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 Vicky. And she said, no, honestly, it's very, very sneaky. And I always think of that quote because she's bang on the money. You know, breast cancer is very, very sneaky. And, um, yeah. and I, you know, the... My my, I had a scan in January last year and it was completely clear and I was, you know, totally free of breast cancer. I can't even remember the year now, maybe six years clear. Mm. And by June, I had secondary breast cancer, even though I'd found a lump the size of a grain of rice. Having preached, you know, to everybody to check themselves in lockdown, I checked myself. I found the tiniest lump and it was already too late. And it was the tiniest lump. And if it had been any smaller, I would never have even found it. Gosh. You know, and I'm not a big woman. I'm very small. Mm. Um, if I'd been any bigger or fatter or fleshier, there's no way I would have found it. So God knows what kind of situation I'd be in right now had I not found it then. Mm. So either, either the breast cancer cell was just waiting to be sneaky and pop up when I least expected, or it was very powerful and it grew quickly. 
and I nobody will ever know. No, no. absolutely. Um, I want to. I mean, you've all three of you really, really vividly described your approach to having secondary breast cancer. I want to ask you each of you for your advice to a woman who's listening to this podcast, who's been diagnosed with it, and who is maybe feeling lost or struggling or just bloody anxious? Um, well, certainly for me, um, it's not panic. Um, you know, don't Google if you can. Try not to do that. Um, but one thing that was actually really, really good for me was actually just reaching out to find other people in the community who had secondary breast cancer because there's there's a trust level there. There's a support level there and there's a connection there even though you don't know each other you know I mean if it wasn't for the people that I found a few years into my diagnosis I'd probably be in a different place right now because in my own circle I don't have anyone who has you know this disease so I think you have to trust your team I think you have to just give yourself time take one day at a time but yeah try and find other people that sort of become your tribe if you like that help you every day without you realizing yeah. I found the same you know you know made some great friends through through social media people who I have long conversations with right now who are maybe ahead of me in the process like you girls are mm-hmm. um who've given me advice and you know it's very hard not to panic and it's very hard not to have that fear you know and I you know I still have it it's a year on I you know I still yeah. I still have the fear it um yeah. There, there, there comes a point though where you, there's a certain acceptance of your situation you can't change it you know as my 91 yeah. year old friend said you cannot go back no. you can't there's no point in saying what have I done wrong you know why why have I got this there's no point in mm. saying is it my lifestyle is it something I've done you know it isn't it really isn't it's just bad luck uh, on one day, you know, one cell's got through and it's your bad luck that that happened. It's nothing you've done. So you can't blame yeah. yourself nope. for the situation you're in and you have to look forward. And I think trusting your team is a really important bit of advice because you have to really like your oncologist and trust yeah. them that they are going to give you the right, you know, treatment every step of the way. And almost because they're chasing the cancer as well. So they almost have to be a step ahead and know what's coming next, even if you don't. Mm. Yeah. So um, if you don't like your oncologist, I would strongly urge you to change if you can. Yeah. Um, you need you need to trust that person because they're going to be in your life a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa, yeah, no, be- I- before you hear your advice, Lisa, I just want to pick up on something Jackie said there, which is really important when Jackie said, you know, it's not your lifestyle. There's no point blaming yourself, all that sort of stuff. No. There are no specific risk factors for secondary breast cancer. The risk factors are the same for primary breast cancer, yeah. you know, so smoking or being overweight or all those things that, that we know about. Uh, really important point that Jackie made. Yeah, Lisa, your advice, what would your advice be to someone who's perhaps been diagnosed with this and is, is finding it hard? I think, it, you know, the girls have raised some, you know, really valid points. And I think the only thing that I would kind of add to that is it's got to be your own journey and it's really easy to compare yourself to other people and to think oh but why is you know so-and-so doing this or why so-and-so doing that and you know but every journey is so unique and don't feel under pressure to be doing something if it's not right for you you have to do what's right in your head and your heart and what your team saying. I remember speaking to Chris um, Halanga, um, who founded Copperfield. Yes. Um, and obviously Chris is 13 years down the line. And she's been a really great support to me because, you know, A, I've seen the fact that, you know, she's smashing life out the park 13 years down the line. But she also said, don't be afraid to sack your oncologist if you don't have a good relationship with them. And I am very lucky. I do have a good relationship with my oncologist, but through the work that, you know, both Claire and I do on a daily basis, we speak to a lot of women who feel that their oncologist doesn't understand them or perhaps isn't, you know, maybe open-minded enough Mm. and looking at, you know, maybe options like trials. So don't be afraid to question your medical team because they're there to support you. 
but you've got to do what's right for you so you know just always put yourself first and don't be kind of waylaid by what you think everybody else is doing because really that doesn't matter yeah I think sometimes people put their oncologist on a pedestal and I completely understand that I, I get it um but I sometimes have a very up and down relationship with my oncologist. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. A lot of the time I come away thinking, I, I don't really know. If it, and then I hear other stories from other people and their relationship seems so much better than mine. So yeah. that's all valid points as well. I think you have to, as much as trust your team, you have to trust yourself and your instincts yeah. as to what you think is right for you and make sure you're advocating for yourself in terms of your treatment. Because as Jackie says, we are going to be doing this, you know, for the rest of our our life. So we have yeah. to make sure that everything that we're doing is right for us as well. Yeah, and don't touch Google. Stay yeah, away. Please stay away from, from Google because <laughs> it will screw your head. Google it. <laughs> it won't help. <laughs> no, it won't. <laughs> um, ladies, thank you so much for talking to us and for being so brilliantly open and frank and and giving such good advice i'm really really grateful thank you jackie lisa and claire thanks for listening you can get in touch with me actually you can get in touch with all of us on social media at any time i'm going to say that um if you if there is something you feel we should be talking about on this podcast or you want to send in your messages having listened to various episodes please do get in touch with me on Instagram or Twitter. It's at Vic Derbyshire. For more information and support for anything to do with breast cancer, please do go to the Future Dreams website. And then came Breast Cancer is a Factory Originals and Six Foot Six production for the Future Dreams charity. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Victoria. That was fantastic. Well done. Honestly, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. You were bloody brilliant. Oh. <laughs> seriously it was superb honestly so that is you know I've learned so so much from you three today and that means that people listening will learn so much as well Kids. and and hopefully as a result not be afraid to ask questions from their medics or whoever you know yeah, yeah. so yeah brilliant Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity hopes you found this podcast helpful. We fund awareness, support and research. If you would like to help us do more, please text WeCare to 7500 to make a £5 donation or visit our website at futuredreams.org.uk forward slash donate. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity will receive 100% of your donation. Text costs your donation plus one standard rate text message, UK only. Always get the bill payer's permission. We would like to contact you on your mobile phone with news and updates. If you would rather opt out, then please add no info to the end of your message. For example, we care, no info. Thank you again for listening.